Good day, beautiful podcast family. I hope that wherever you are on this planet, you're doing amazing. And I'm sending you my love, prayers, good vibes, well wishes to you, your family, and your friends. We've got an exceptional episode of the show for you today. We have the incredible Kelly Brogan back on. And we are talking about overcoming victim consciousness and living sovereign, vital mind reset, and so much more. We talk about uh, her journey and being in the pharmaceuticals and being uh, how she had a transition out of that because she wasn't really getting the results she wanted and how she, the medicine and what she does now her holistic practice is so much different um, than what she was taught in school we talk about the victim versus savior complex we talk about the work of bill harris victim consciousness the process of self-initiation the ultimate power of choice the zen farmer story uh why what we tell ourselves is incredibly important uh the emotional arc of feeling somatic experiencing the morphogenic field and so much more this is an amazing episode of the show she's actually just going into her vital mind reset um, program that she open only opens up twice a year so um, if you're interested in that definitely check out her website there'll be links there but I guess it's uh, time limited so if you enjoy her work it seems like a very powerful program and uh, I've had people on the show like Ali Zek who have worked with her and just got tremendous results so if you're interested in working with Kelly just reach out um, if you want to support this show please share episodes far and wide leave a review in iTunes uh, become a member if you want to support because patreon is no longer available so uh, you can do it for free or by donation there is going to be more exclusive content in the members area coming soon i have some stuff to drop in there so become a member get exclusive content and support the show if you wish and if you're interested in working with me and you want to work on life purpose peak performance uh, overcoming your limitations your limiting beliefs and learning how to master your mind and master your life and design it and architect it from your authentic level of being from your heart from who you truly are uh, check out the soul compass a quantum heart hypnosis or apply for coaching there's a lot of ways that i can support you in your journey and just hope uh, you know the work and the training and all the things available will help you in your process because i've helped you know thousands of people over my life and would love to just support you in your journey because i feel like anybody living their life purpose who is in alignment is always of service to other people so that's it uh, let's come into a state of peace and coherence before we dive into this episode wherever you are in the world just stop what you're doing take in a deep breath in through your nose Hold that breath and let it out slowly, filling every cell, muscle, and fiber of your being with joy, peace, contentment, faith, courage, power, and get ready to enjoy this incredible episode with Kelly Brogan. Hello and welcome to the Mastermind, Body, and Spirit Show. I'm your host, Matt Belair. As you know, we're currently overcoming extreme censorship, so if you'd like to support this show, please share episodes far and wide. Become a member at mattbelair.com where all the episodes are backed up, and most importantly, consider doing three kind acts wherever you are in the world today. Today's guest is a holistic psychiatrist, author of the New York Times bestselling book, A Mind of Your Own, Own Yourself, the children's book, A Time for Rain, and co-editor of the landmark textbook, Integrative Therapies for Depression. She is also the founder of the online healing program, Vital Mind Reset. Welcome back to the show, Kelly Brogan. Pleasure to be here. So glad that we're doing this again. Uh, as you know, I'm a big fan of your work. I think you're doing incredible stuff. Um, for those who may not know who you are, um, why don't you give a little bit about your background? Because I think you're one of the few people that got their uh, episodes deleted from Joe Rogan. Is that true? Did that actually happen? I don't know. I don't think <laughs> that was deleted. I've had plenty of stuff deleted, but I think that was more like a marketing strategy on his part to remove all the all the videos and put them on Spotify, and then all the drama sigh up there. Right. But, uh, yeah. 
It's a censorship shuffle, you know, that's what I mm-hmm. like. Yeah, well, actually, I, one of my favorite posts for you during this thing was, uh, uh, I think you were on the news for like top 10 disinformation or something. And then you're like, look, Ma, I'm on TV. And uh, I was like, wow, that's amazing. Like, you know, you've made it when. <laughs> so ridiculous. Yeah, I'm, I'm interestingly configured. And this is like a whole other conversation, probably, but to kind of enjoy um, even negative attention, you know, like, so it never, I never got my panties in a bunch about it. But yeah, I was one <laughs> of the so called disinformation dozen, which is really curious, because there are plenty of people putting out far more provocative information than I am. So I think, you know, one of the one of the adolescent type guys behind this just liked my lipstick color or something like that. Like, I don't know what it was about. It makes no sense. But yeah, I have a little notoriety to my name. Yeah. And it's so ridiculous when you hear, um, you know, you speak and how educated you are and your background and all the amazing work you've done and the success you've had and the kind of transition that you share about going from the traditional medicine and not getting the results you want. So saying, you know, people aren't getting better. I want them to get better. So what can I do to improve the service of healing people? And then just continuing your own research and, and understanding so you can have a better, you know, service and a better, um, basically healing product. You know what I mean? If people are coming to, uh, uh, anybody for healing, you want them to get better. And if it's not working, then you need to readjust and figure that out. So do you want to share a little bit about your journey and what you're working on now? Sure. I mean, I'm on rebirth, like number 10, I think something (laughs) like this. I think even since I've spoken to you last, I've had like gone through a huge dark night and, um, I guess the most important aspect of my history is that I have um, played many different parts already, right? So I I trained as a totally conventional pill-pushing allopathic psychiatrist and believed so much in that model uh, that I specialized at the fellowship level in prescribing psychotropics to pregnant and breastfeeding women. And it was only, which is pretty common, Uh, It was only through my own health experience and my first diagnosis because I had never encountered any health challenges and I treated my body like a, you know, a garbage dump and, you know, ate McDonald's and candy every day, never exercised, took birth control for 12 years, like dyed my hair black and like just had no concept that life was about anything other than getting an A+. And I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's thyroiditis and I just was not interested in participating as a patient in the system. And that was the, you know, so-called rupture um, and generated a lot of cognitive dissonance for me because I was able to put that, you know, seemingly uh, reportedly chronic uh, illness into full and now very lasting 13 years of remission uh, through lifestyle change. And I paid very close attention in my training and got A's and all the things. And I never learned that lifestyle, let alone nutrition uh, had any relevance, you know, other than like telling your diabetic patient not to like get a big gulp soda at 7-Eleven or your cardiac patient to like lay off the salt. All right. And I, um, I was really angry, like rageful actually. And that was probably my earliest introduction to some of the, the trauma-based elements of why we do what we do uh, because I had really parentified this authority structure um, called the medical system, you know, and I was uh, attached through my particular traumas. And I think specifically through my intolerance for human distress, you know, I think many people become doctors, if not all of us, 
um, and maybe specifically psychiatrists because we have that little tolerance. Um, you know, I'll speak for myself. I had that little tolerance for human discomfort, distress and struggle that I needed a, a solution. I needed a fix. I needed a way to not feel inside of me what would come up when I would empathically connect to someone else's pain. And so when I became a psychiatrist, it felt like, well, you know, now I have a solution to everything. Um, and there are so many medications to choose from and you can layer them on top of each other. And um, it wasn't until I was not interested in taking a prescription for the rest of my life that I learned that there is a whole other way of looking at um, health and illness. Um, and I entered through biology, you know, like I, I didn't get into psycho spirituality for a long time, for many years. And I really crossed this bridge through, through scientific evidence and biology. I required that because I would not have, um, uh, resolved this dissonance any other way, except denial and repression, you know, like, Oh, nothing to see here. Um, and instead I started to look into the literature of, uh, what is called psychoneuroimmunology, which is the essentially the science of the way that all of these seemingly separate, uh, you know, aspects and dimensions and elements and systems of the body are totally interconnected. And that's why when you change your diet, that's why, you know, when you meditate, that's why when you look at the toxicant exposures um, that your, your body and your liver are processing, for example, um, you can actually have changes in mood and cognition and behavior and metabolism. And the changes are these dimensional, it's like a, like a peacock, you know, that spreads her feather and his feathers, I guess. And um, I not only put my uh, condition into remission on paper, which was very important for me to see, uh, but I, I felt better than I ever had in my entire life. You know, like I was like, chronically constipated and like losing hair all the time and like kind of just like generally puffy and um and by essentially just taking some things out of my diet and beginning to make different consumer choices um i had this this radical awakening and so of course as the universe would have it i was given a book called anatomy of an epidemic at that same time by a colleague and i read it and i never prescribed uh, medication again that was the end. <laughs> uh, and what was in that book was essentially, um, it, it's by investigative journalist, Robert Whitaker. And it's essentially, I think an unimpeachable, um, you know, collection of non-industry funded studies. And he puts forth the, um, basically like hypothesis that the reason that we have increasing rates of disability in the mental health arena is actually because of the medications that are prescribed. So that's where I learned this pattern, right? That in the allopathic system, the medications actually perpetuate that which they purport to resolve. You know, whether we're talking about acid blockers or antibiotics or antidepressants, um, antihypertensives, that these medications create a new normal, um, quote unquote, and that that new normal is consistent with chronic illness. Uh, and so we don't ever see the natural arc of a so-called disease because we're interfering and we are assuming that the symptoms are the problem. So it's kind of like turning off the, you know, fire alarm while the fire is raging and then just gaslighting yourself and pretending like there's no fire and sitting on the couch. Right. And through that um, process and exploration and dedication to taking 
my patients off of medication, that is when I began to learn about um, the individuation process and, and journey and what are the elements of really becoming an adult <laughs> and uh, moving through a lot of the childlike consciousness that characterizes um, victimhood and suffering. And I've come to really feel strongly that victim consciousness is the only human pathology. It is the only source of what we call evil. Um, and that there are ways to mature. There are ways to um, develop you know, practices to uh, really transmute that into sovereign consciousness or what I like to call creatrix uh, consciousness, a creator consciousness. And that is a lifelong process because I catch myself in my victim every single day. Um, and part of the awareness generating is really having compassion for that, understanding that there is a reason that we get our needs met um, from the systems like that, we get our needs met through dynamics um, that, that really pin us into that victim corner. And when you're ready, you know, you'll choose differently, but not until you're ready to really hold these big energies of the possibility that you could be seen as bad and wrong. And I found that those are like, that's the big initiation in life when you are willing to put on that villain crown and be seen as bad and wrong. Um, when you're willing to make mistakes, when you're willing to really um, explore, you know, new ways of responding that don't um, confer the sense of safety that this smaller way of living does, then you're on your magic carpet ride. And, and that's really a lot of my, my focus these days is like, you know, what, are we, what do we see from that carpet when we gaze off into the distance? Wow. Amazing. Well, you brought up so many amazing points there. Uh, the last one about the, you know, being the villain. I remember uh, one of my Native American teachers telling me that uh, you're always going to be the devil to somebody. I can't remember if I was straight, like on Facebook or whatever the case was and somebody's talking smack. And, you know, I was like just accepting that, you know, you might be the polar opposite of someone else. You can't please everybody. And that's very important. And I just had uh, Dr. Henry Ely on and he was talking about the pharmaceuticals. I can't remember how he said it. I need to go back and check it out. But it was something around the the, the medication from allopathy is going to create one like entropic cell or one cancerous cell for another one. And they rebranded it a symptom. Um, and I don't know if it was cancer or decaying or something along those lines, but check that podcast to figure out exactly what he said. Um, but apparently they rebranded it as symptom, but that's around the time of the Flexner report where it really made, you know, um, homeopathic medicine quackery. And so in your education where you're a straight A student and you really believed in it because you wanted to heal people, uh, but you weren't getting the results. You're not taught this other um, field that could be helpful. It's not a, right. Like the holistic view, what else can we use if this isn't working? You're only being taught to use this uh, product or extended, um, you know, field of products where there's this other very important element to health, including, you know, what you eat. And he said that um, doctors, the white coats only have 16 hours of nutrition and that's, you know, a pretty big starting point for health. And so I'm, I'm, would love to take this a lot of different directions. Um, and with your work and some of the people you've worked with, um, you know, they've healed from very serious problems, um, which again, speaks to the work and it speaks to the process where they couldn't get help anywhere else. And now they're getting results that are staying and they're not dependent on anything outside their own body and their own consciousness. And that's key. You know, if I'm dependent to go to the hospital to get some product or something to have me functioning, uh, at my, you know, peak performance or even just health, then I'm probably not all the way there for healing. And so I feel like that's very important in the way that you 
uh, approach healing. But I wanted to kind of go into what you talked about, about, you know, the, the empathy for the world. And when I look at the world now, I know a lot of people are dealing with anxiety, depression, and handling fear and this awakening process of saying, well, this isn't, it's like the evil, right? It does exist. And I think that when people don't look at things as predatory or as they are, they're going to make choices that harm them because they can't wrap their head around, you know, somebody actually doing something that doesn't have their benefit, you know, at heart. And so how do you process like the darkness when you allow that weight of holy smokes, the world isn't exactly what I thought it was. How do I see it? And then move towards solutions where that, pain isn't crushing you. And that's one of the things that I have a challenge. And I hear, you know, some of my, my clients and the people I work with is just like, when you kind of know it's rough, you know, uh, empathetically, when you just know what's going on and some of that suffering, how do you be aware of that, but continue to function in your own world so you can be the solution? Mm. I am a big believer in what Bill Harris uh, calls sacred selfishness. And I have um, attracted some constructive feedback about, about this very topic because, you know, I've been called all sorts of things because of my focus on sovereignty, individuality, and the essential nature of self-knowledge and self-discovery in the context of a healthy collective, right? So until and if we have command of this vessel. And, and what I mean by command is deep awareness of all of our hidden parts uh, or as many as, as can come to our attention. And how do you know you have hidden parts? When you experience upset about another's behavior and that another can be a, an individual or a system, you are projecting an aspect of you that you're not ready to love onto that, let's say that person. And you're experiencing the play of you know duality with that person. When you're ready, you will bring your attention to that part within you, right? So like, if, if I really identify as like a competent woman, right? And I judge women who, you know, don't do their part or are lazy or kept women or whatever you want to say, incompetent women, there is a part of me that is holding the exact opposite of what I consciously identify with in my shadow, right? With young and others refer to it as the shadow. And until I am ready to love that, which will require that I, I expand my sense of who I am to include aspects that I would rather not be. Only then will I stop projecting that on the outside and experiencing this war on the outside, right? This, these two plus years, you know, that we have experienced, I think have brought up for most of us, uh, if not all of us, an opportunity and an invitation specifically to recognize where we are attempting to, as I say, buy eggs from the hardware store. <laughs> so there are places in our lives, whether it's from the medical system, from the government, from the educational system, agricultural system, you know, from a relationship, there are places from a school um, that we are insisting, we are entitled to the meeting of our needs. And these Places, spaces, and people have unequivocally shown us probably from the beginning that they are not available to meet those needs. In fact, they just don't do that, right? It's just not possible. So, you know, this could be looking at the allopathic system and insisting that a cure or a lasting remission, or as you said, vitality, be on offer through your conventional doctor. 
that's not on offer there. It's not for sale there. So the more you insist that it, it should be, the more suffering you're going to experience, right? Because when you're the victim, someone else is the villain and you're in this triangle forever. And an important part of the triangle is what you're referring to, which is the rescuer uh, angle of the triangle, right? The rescuer is the one who feels, which is most of us, right? Me and you, I'm sure. And, and many in our field and healers and doctors and all the rest who feel that they have a very special responsibility to make the world a better place, right? And the onus is on them to, to deliver truth and information um, and to make sure that people get it and they change their minds accordingly, right? The problem with this rescuer role is that there is a not um, so subtle reification of the victimhood of the person you are rescuing, right? Because the assumption is that without you, without your information, without your attention, without your care, whatever it is, they can't figure it out on their own, which is never true, right? And you're also empowering the problem, right? Like I like to say that like, whenever there's an enemy, it's like you're, you're erotically caressing this enemy all day long. Right? <laughs> you're thinking about them, you're fighting against them, right? Like how many activists do we know who literally think about people like Bill Gates, like on the daily, right? So that is a relationship and sovereignty is non-oppositional. It's non-referential. It is getting to a place where you are so okay with whatever the hell is reality that you, you're no longer insisting it be different. And that's not the same as giving up your hopes and dreams and desires, right? It's not the same. In fact, that is what liberates you to actually find out what you want because you're no longer so obsessively focused on what you don't want, right? Which for many of us in, in this field can become a lifelong vocation, right? Is, is focusing all of our attention on the things that we don't want, the things that we don't like, the things that must change. And in insisting that you, you buy eggs from the hardware store, you are not in contact with your power of choice. And I believe that the power of choice is the defining feature of the divine human experience. Without a connection to that power of choice, you remain in the field of victim consciousness and you remain in very specific and personal patterns of struggle and suffering that are coming up again and again and again in your relationship dynamics, in your lifescape, so that you can respond differently, so that you can finally recognize that you actually have a choice here. And usually that choice is the gateway to self-initiation, right? Because we no longer as like tribal people have elder, you know, uh, you know, elder facilitated initiation, right? not in our adolescence and, and we barely even have built-in initiation available like natural birth, childbirth, et cetera. So when you have this big choice to make where you recognize, you know what? My health and vitality is not available through that system. You know what? I cannot get my basic relational needs met through this marriage. You know what? My mom is never going to love me in the way that I really deeply wish she would, right? Or, you know, this school does not offer the kind of pedagogy I really want for my child. So it doesn't make sense for me to insist, you know, that they look into Steiner and all these things, right? When you finally recognize that where you are insisting your needs be met, that source is not available to meet your needs. Then you recognize that you have a choice. And usually making this choice will be one of the scariest things you've ever done, because it means that you're walking into the wild unknown 
you're leaving behind all of the familiar, uh, smaller dimensions of your, your life that also keep you in that known vibration of disempowerment, which is a trauma field. And usually it requires that you be willing to lose something that you think you're going to die without. I mean, I remember think, like moving out of New York city was that for me, um, closing my clinical practice was that for me. And then, you know, so many relationship related gauntlets that I've been through, I have been confronted with this, um, identity shift where I am compelled to step into a new identity and one that is not bringing all the old things with her. And who am I now? Who am I then? You know, and this, um, process of self-initiation allows you the reclamation of that power of choice. And once you recognize that you can never lose this, no one can take your power of choice away from you because even if you're being sliced into bits with a machete, okay, you still have the power to narrate that experience in alignment with purpose, meaning, and divinity. You still retain that. And that's why the story that we tell about what's happening is one of the most powerful indicators of our experience of so-called negative emotion. Right. And it's not as simple as just like slapping a positive affirmation, you know, onto a really shitty situation. I, in my experience, that doesn't work. So once you have that first experience of, I thought this was going to be hell. I thought I was going to have more infinite pain and suffering on the other side of this choice. And look at me, I've come in, I've expanded, like I've come into contact with even more power, even more joy, even more, you know, fulfillment. Then you're, you get it in your tissues, right? Like once you have that first experience, you're going to recognize challenges and you're going to approach them with curiosity and interest to see what's in this for me. Right. And there will never again be a situation where you just feel like random badness is happening, which is the, the dominant culture is predicated on that materialist belief system that there's just random badness. There's random bad genes. There's random bad luck. There's random bad timing. There's random accidents. And there's another worldview that says nothing is random. Everything is meaningful and check it out because decoding this is your personal hero or heroine's journey. It's what you came here for, for that experience of resolution of contrast. And it becomes actually really delightful. I mean, you and I are, are deep in, in, you know, inquiry and, um, spaces with our colleagues of questioning pretty much everything, right? That could be devastating. Every time you're like, wait, we were lied to about this too, you know, or it could be like, like an adventure, right? Like a video game, like, where you feel like, oh my God, I get to go to level three, you know, now, because I, I see that. And it's so wild that too. And you get comfortable with not knowing, first of all, and you get comfortable with confusion and you get comfortable with the process of discovery, with starting at the bottom of the totem pole yet again, because there's deep enjoyment in that, that is, is really relinquished when we are conditioned to be performance output, you know, machines that are here to, to make sure we never get, you know, caught unaware. Well, well, you said a lot of amazing things there and there's so many, other questions I want to ask you. So I'll try to keep it um, concise. I remember interviewing Tom Campbell. I had him on the show twice. He's one of the leading physicists on simulation theory. And basically 
all he kept saying was like, you know, the, it's always the opportunity to grow up and become an adult and the victim consciousness to me, like is, is part of being a child and having all these, uh, you know, the world take care of you. And the government really likes to step in and say, here, let me take care of you. Let me just sort this out for you. Right. And so rather than being empowered, we're always looking for something outside of ourselves to empower ourselves. And what you're suggesting is, is, well said, but sometimes hard to do. Accept the world as it is. And that's like the Zen teachings. They'll, they'll talk about in Zen how it's not infinite lessons. It's like deepening of the same lesson, like surrender to what is, you know, like just there's this amazing story of this, uh, this farmer and he uh, has a kid and yeah, ever hear that one? He loses. I love it. Yes. I call it the maybe, maybe principle. And there's an Alan Watts reading of it, right? It's like a Chinese proverb, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. you know, basically just goes through where he, you know, he has loses the horse and then his, his neighbor says, Oh, what bad luck. And he says, maybe then the horse comes back with five horses. He's like, Oh, what good luck. And he says, maybe then his son goes on there and he breaks his leg and he says, Oh, what bad luck. And he says, maybe then the military comes to conscript this uh, child, but he can't go because his leg is broken. He says, maybe. So, you know, it's like, okay, I get that in principle. Sometimes it can be hard to empower, but I, I like to, do in the world, but that does allow you to grow up. And what I wanted to kind of ask is how do we go to this radical acceptance and overcome the victim consciousness? Cause I think that is so key, just that victim mentality, the victim consciousness. And um, it's interesting because when I do coaching and talk to a lot of people, almost everyone will say their inner dialogue is mean to them. It's harsh. It's, you know, self-deprecating. It's all these different things. How come we're not programmed with like the number one cheerleader support system, like you're a loving mother and father they're in there. So it's like, it's okay. You know, you can do it. And how come that's not going on in our brain? How come our, our brains for 90% of people are so terrible and it is linked to the victim consciousness. So I'd love for you to speak on, you know, the, how do we apply this um, over radical acceptance, uh, building our self-worth, overcoming the victim consciousness and, and really, you know, being accountable and responsible for our lives. Oh, I mean, this is my favorite topic and it's most of my, my teaching for some time now because I don't know the answers. I just know my experience and what um, has served to transform some pretty embedded programs for me in my life. And, you know, I think it's important to recognize that victim consciousness is, it's not like a native childlike state, right? It's conditioned into us. And I think by design, you know, because I do think that every aspect of what we're experiencing, we chose. Um, however, it's programmed into us by, you know, what some clinicians like Alexander Lowen would, would describe is the way we are pitted against our animal nature and actually specifically our sexuality, um, early in life. Um, you know, he talks about through the Freudian lens, you know, the Oedipus complex and these types of dynamics, but early in life, we have our vital force, our erotic energy, which is non-genital, it's non-local, it's just life force, right? It's desire, it's this impulse, it's curiosity. Um, it's an embodied energy. We are shamed for it and it's coupled with danger, right? So it can be as simple as being chronically told to stop doing what it is that you want to do, or it could be, you know, if you were caught masturbating as a fourth grader, you know, and you have this imprint that what you did touching your own body was wrong. Uh, or it could be in dynamics between your, you know, mother and father. And that's where some of the, again, the, the analytic theory is that, you know, it's, it's built in that there is a castration impulse um, that 
overcomes, right? Um, and subsumes the child's sexual energy, right? So the fear of being castrated or in the case of a woman of uh, being killed, literally, um, is what takes predominance and we suppress and disconnect. And when we disconnect from our animal nature, that divide is a fragmentation that is illusory, right? It's not real. Like we create parts and we pit against ourselves. So that's often the, the first development of this part that says, no, don't do that. You shouldn't do that. That's bad. You know, bad girl, bad boy. And we, we take on that part from early on. It's not coming from the outside any longer, right? And so this is why I think one of the most powerful um, systems to work with is called parts work. And, um, you know, there's one system called, alter sorry, internal family systems uh, founded by Dick Schwartz. And um, this system is a way to get to know your inner parts. Because if you insist that that cheerleader always drive the car, well, you have a part that is trying to protect you. And that's the part I just referenced, right? That is the one that says, don't do that. You shouldn't do that. It's bad that you're, you're doing that. Please stop doing that. You know, do your work, eat your vegetables and go to sleep at night, right? That's also you. So it's essential to develop intimacy with this. I call it like a circus. It's a circus of parts. And one of the easiest ways just to reduce this, this practice down, it's like, I always say enter through the upset, right? So like something upsets you. We were not raised by parents who could teach us how to feel feelings, right? We were raised by parents, most of us, who said, calm down, stop crying. There's, you know, there's nothing wrong. It's okay when we felt bad things. So we never learned the arc of a feeling, right? That's why so many of us start crying and we think, well, if I really let go into this, I'm going to never stop crying. That's not true, right? Emotions by their very nature have an arc. It's a wave that you ride. And honestly, it often lasts like seconds to a minute. I know that I've been working for a couple of years now to even hold emotions for three minutes, right? And by that, I mean, I have a feeling, I get an upsetting email, okay? I see the email, I read it. I have like, you know, a rise of energy in my chest, I feel, I often feel like kind of like electric shocks, right? Um, throughout my chest, maybe my, my throat gets um, tight. And instead of resorting to my usual learned defenses to make the feeling go away, like replying to the email, right? Or getting on the phone with a friend and complaining about it um, or distracting myself in some way, I literally would stop everything, close my eyes, and simply watch and witness and monitor the sensation. Literally, that's it. No story. If it's hard, if you're like beginning with this and you're like, where is the sensation? You might choose like one word, like, you know, I don't know, like betrayal, jealousy, like one word that sort of like holds the energy of that emotion, but it's even better if it's totally storyless and you're just allowing the sensation to move because that's what these feelings are. They are sensations. They're not going to kill you. I promise. Right. <laughs> However, our nervous system is wired to make sure that we never fully feel these things because they've been coupled with existential threat, mortal threat. Right. And so 
we have all of these parts that come in that recruit different behaviors to make sure that we don't feel those things and, or at least can, can re-enter a reality where those things are, those feelings are not occurring. So until we learn how to literally feel feelings, we are forever engaging like old defenses that disempower us and pit someone outside of us as the empowered villain. And this is how life goes. Anytime you are pointing a finger, anytime you are judging or blaming or saying, he did that to me, she did that to me, they're doing this to me, you are in that, that, that state. And there is no way to feel at ease because you shouldn't feel at ease because that's not actually you. That's not actually the real you. In parts work, there is this concept of the self with a capital S, um, right? And that self is almost like orchestrating the different parts, right? So the vindictive, you know, angry part doesn't take the wheel any more than the apologizing, you know, ashamed about the vindictive, angry part takes the wheel. The self is organizing all the parts, is creating this, you know, meta space for all of those parts to be seen because they all have gifts and they're all there to protect you. There's no such thing. In fact, his book is called No Bad Parts. There's no such thing as a bad part, right? There's no parts like it's like cancer model, right? Like you don't want to cut it out. It's you, right? This is all you. And so I think, um, you know, I like to break it into like three parts, right? So like feeling it, right? Like learning how to feel it. And it can be that simple, although sometimes it requires really easing in to even holding feelings for a couple of seconds. And there's um, a discipline called somatic experiencing. You can find a therapist and just literally learn how to feel feelings. Um, and then, so I sort of break it into like, feel it, face it, free it, right? And so facing it is where after you've done that work on something, then it can be helpful to start to do this kind of parts work and to feel that feeling and then see how you feel about, about that feeling, right? So like, I feel afraid to run into my aunt on the street because I am angry with her and I haven't talked to her in six years, whatever. And I heard she's coming to town. Okay, well, how do I feel about that feeling? Well, maybe I feel ashamed about, about having that feeling, right? And then I've met another part. I felt a, I've met a part that feels ashamed, right? How, how, once I get to know that part a little bit, how do I feel about that ashamed part? Well, then I've met another part. And usually you can dimensionally expand like three or four parts, just exploring how you feel inside of yourself about different parts. And it's fascinating, right? Because you can start to see, oh, wow, there's so much going on in here. I don't even need to bother with what's up out there. Right. And that is the beginning of that introspection that allows you to get to know yourself and you start to see, oh, wow, like that, which I thought was coming from the outside, like in the beginning of the pandemic, you know, I was so upset right, about all of the hierarchical totalitarian abuse um, that was coming from on high. And I felt because I've been doing this work for a while, like compelled to explore how was I holding that energy inside of me? Do I have any authoritarian, totalitarian parts that are tending, tending to be abusive, you know, to other parts? You bet I do. Right. And when I let that part take the wheel and I fuse with that part. So I think that's actually who I am. Then I come off with an energy of know it all controlling. I know better than you what's best for you. 
right? And so looking at that allowed me to see, oh, how about I get to know that part within myself before I focus so much on the outside, right? And this sort of like, you know, exploring the mirror um, can be very humbling and it's very, it feels almost shameful. However, it's, you know, it's true for all of us. It's true for all of us. And, and then something that has been a very power, powerful practice for me is really exploring how the things that I, I say that I want, like I don't entirely want because there's a part of me that's afraid for me to get the things that I want, right? Like if you think about total freedom, right? Like is there a part of me that actually doesn't want total freedom? Maybe that has associated that with something that is unsafe. If I don't get to know that part, then I'm going to insist that this is what I want. And I'm going to be the reason that I don't actually have it because there's a part of me that doesn't want it. Right. So as you get to know these aspects, um, you really liberate a much more pure desire. And that is like a later stage. That's the freeing part, right? When you can connect to your desires, you've reconnected to that eros. You've reconnected to that animal body. You've reclaimed your impulsivity. I mean, these days I'll get like a little feeling of wanting to do something and it can be super weird and super crazy. And I do it 100% of the time. And, you know, in psychiatry, that's considered rather pathological. Um, and so are many things that characterize, you know, uh, a free way of being. Um, and this sort of arc, again, is predicated on taking personal responsibility. And you can't take personal responsibility until you're ready and you're not ready before you're ready. So, you know, if any of this sounds interesting, it's probably because there's a part of you that is readying, you know, that is, is really on the path to um, exploring the possible ways that you are keeping yourself caged. And that's pretty much as far as I can tell how it always is. We are our own captors and we are so because we learned that it's safer to be that way, to self-police, to self-domesticate um, so that we don't have to experience it necessarily coming from the outside. I love all that. It's such a more empowering worldview because myself going through the last two years that have definitely been like that. And, you know, looking at these overarching structures and how much time and energy I put into thinking about that thing and thinking about, okay, how do I get back into the solution and empowerment? Because I know a lot of people who have kind of woken up to a lot of the things that are going on are, are stuck in a little bit of a lower state of depression, a helplessness and anxiety, you know, waiting. And that's not the most empowering state to be in, right? You can, you can stay there for as long as you want. Um, but ideally you want to get over to that solution space. And I kind of equate it to, um, you know, learning the skills that you need. And some of these are emotional skills. So if you stick me out in the middle of a forest and you drop me off, I'm going to be afraid because I don't know how to survive. You know, I, I wish I did. I have a beard. I like to be a mountain man. I want to learn. I'm going to die. And I'm going to be totally afraid, right? You, you have somebody who has all those skills and they have all the right equipment. They're going to be fine. They're like, oh, I wonder how long I have to stay out here. Hopefully not too long because I'd rather go back because they have the knowledge. And we, we never really taught this emotional knowledge, this uh, knowledge of mindset, our, our understanding, all these, you know, and, and all these things that happen as, from a child. Like there's that quote that says, give me the boy until he's seven. I'll show you the man. I think it's Aristotle or someone like that. Um, all these things that are happening 
uh, at a young age, we carry that for the rest of our lives because we don't know how to heal it. We're not taught how to heal it. And so the work you do really goes into that. And then that can go into healing your body, which is the most important thing, because once you get your body into homeostasis, you're feeling good, you're feeling vital. Then you transition that energy into your family, into your community, into your relationships, into some sort of offer for your community. But if you're the one who's sick in the community, whether physically, mentally, or emotionally, and I think we're all mentally and emotionally ill to a degree, and we're looking for that healing. You know, when you meet somebody who's at peace and they're vital and strong, or, or not even that, they're just at peace with themselves, they, re- they have an energy right? And it feels good to be around them. Um, And so we want to be able to create that resonance within ourselves so we can share that with other people. And if you meet people who are high strung and they're nervous and uh, anxious all the time, it's just a, it's a different energy. And I know you have um, this vital mind reset coming up, which I'm really excited about because when you look at, like I said, if you go onto that website, which I've been on before, and I've had, uh, you know, Alec, Alex Zach and Ali Zach on, you know, and they talk about your work and how they came to be familiar with what you do. There's been, you know, things like bipolar and, and other really serious conditions that, you know, the medical field or allopathic medicine will say there's no solution for, but yet people are finding remedy through going through this masterclass. And I know we only have an hour today and I could sit here for the whole afternoon to fire questions at you. Um, but I know that that course does, uh, like an overview of almost everything that you've learned. So the person can go through that process themselves, you know, uncover all these different parts and then find their own path to healing and their own path to sovereignty. So do you want to talk a little bit about uh, that course and how you lay it out? Like what kind of um, structure do people go through so they can kind of at the end, you know, have it um, all put together. I kind of, with my Zen athlete stuff, you know, I kind of created a model where you need all of these areas. And if you can become proficient, you're going to become a high performing athlete or a high performing artist or a high performing musician. They all work the same, but you need to have all these elements in the structure. And that way, if you're sucking or you're not, you know, getting to the level you want, you're going to be able to check this model to see where your gap is. So now you have a framework um, to move towards your own excellence. Absolutely. I, you know, that's very resonant. And we were talking earlier about the power of choice, right? And I have found, I guess, back my way into it, honestly, uh, because, you know, I put my Hashimoto's into remission and I essentially started to bring that three-pronged protocol, which was, you know, nutrition, wise consumerism, I guess, and detox, um, and then uh, contemplative practice or, or meditation and a very good dose of brainwashing, right? Because we have been brainwashed and you can choose to brainwash yourself in any way by entering into an energetic field that represents what you want, right? So the ways that I have grown and changed, changed over my process, I have identified somebody who is already living and being that which I want. And I have invested an uncomfortable amount of money into stepping into their energetic field. And often just being around those people or that person has started to recode me, right? And I found that there's something of in our natures that loves ritual, right? And that ritual and specifically ritual initiation can confer these inexplicable quantum leaps, right? From point A to point B. And Vital Mind Reset became, you know, when my private practice had a two-year wait list and I was like, this is not, you know, brain surgery that I'm doing in here. I can extrapolate this. I took all of the elements and I started to get better clinical outcomes from vital mind reset. And I hired a team of 
clinicians to start publishing in the medical literature these outcomes. Graves disease, lupus, chronic migraines, we had a recidivistic schizophrenia case, all sorts of depression and suicidality and bipolar, and then, you know, non-psychiatric things like a long list, um, inflammatory bowel disease, eczema, and all of these things were coming out of this program. And I couldn't explain how it was better than what was coming out of my practice until I understood this concept of, you know, Rupert Sheldrake calls it the morphic field, this concept of like, now there's thousands of people who are sharing this belief system that nothing is wrong with you, that the body does not make mistakes, that there is no such thing as chronic illness if you want to opt out, right? And when you step into that field, all sorts of things become possible for you. You specifically, your personal version becomes available to you through this generic template. And I think the reason that it works neurobiologically is because you reclaim that power of choice and you do so through lifestyle change. So I am a, I'm a hard ass, right? And I am a huge, I, I think I held like the father archetype uh, in my clinical practice because I had very strong expectations of my patients that they would commit and exercise discipline for a month. You can do anything for one month, okay? And so the energy of the program is like, go big or go home. And you commit, this is what you're doing. That's why it, costs what it does. This is what you're doing for one month. This is your life. Okay. This is your life. Are you ready to reclaim it? This is a big opportunity, right? And so you commit no bullshit and you make the choices that you do every single day to change these aspects of your life in a certain programmed manner. Right. And as that's happening, you're getting essentially um, the downloads of information from somebody who has clinical experience and the fact that I am an MD, I do think is collectively still relevant. It won't be for much longer, but at this moment it is because of the ways we've been conditioned to only get information from certain sources. Right. And so if I am here uh, programming you in a way that is beneficial to your sovereignty and that facilitates that transition, then you unlock that regenerative capacity, right? You shift neurobiologically because you're starting to see, oh, wow, my choices have power, right? My bloating is gone. My hair's not falling out. My joints aren't hurting as much. I'm pooping normally, you know, somehow I'm able to sleep and it's just been a couple of weeks, right? You reclaim that power of choice and then you shift out of the fight, flight, freeze of helplessness, disempowerment, and dependency into regeneration, and then your body, only your body knows how to heal you, right? Your body starts to unlock the healing that is necessary for you. And your consciousness comes back into your body and connects through your body to your own intuitive compass, right? And that's what's so fascinating to me is, you know, I never was like a long-term, not never, but as a holistic doctor, I was never like a long-term partner, right? It was always only ever for this portal uh, of initiation, and what I have seen is that, you know, through this one month program, it's actually 44 days because there's a couple of weeks of brainwashing. So through this program, <laughs> you know, you then start to discover that reconnection, that channel opens up within, and then you know what you need, right? So people go from this program onto plant medicine, onto homeopathy, onto essential oils, onto emotion code, onto energy healing, you know, onto um, movement. And they find exactly what they need to continue their expansion and their reclamation process. And that trust of self 
is restored. And once you have that, you're never afraid again because you've got you. And uh, so obviously I'm very, very passionate about this. And we, you know, we open the doors twice a year uh, for a live experience and, um, and magic happens. And I get to just like sit back and see, you know, what, what becomes possible. And, you know, for those who like proof, I absolutely am still one of those people. Um, we've published an actually IRB approved randomized trial, you know, to, for depression, um, quote unquote, I'll put that in quotes. Um, and, you know, have a number of, uh, case, case studies and, um, case series published to demonstrate what's possible. That's really why I took the time to do all of that. Also, cause I think it's like a fun sport to mess with the system in this way. Um, <laughs> But it's, it's so you know what's possible, right? So if you get a diagnosis or you're scared, um, if you know that it's possible to put it into full and lasting remission, then maybe you can become curious. And that state of curiosity neurobiologically will confer the conditions for you to experience exactly what it is that you say you want, which is to feel well. And guess what? When you feel well and you feel vital, there's all sorts of um, expansion that takes time you know, to feel safe in that's the crazy thing, right? Like it's a process and the process can begin, uh, you know, with this commitment. Amazing. Well, it sounds absolutely phenomenal. Uh, I'd love to chat for you with you all day, but I know we have uh, limited time. I will leave it with the question, like with all the madness going on in the world, it seems things are more uncertain than ever. Uh, I'm just curious, are you optimistic moving forward? And how do you, uh, how do you see the, the great unfolding happening? You know, some people see it as like the great awakening. Some people see it as like, oh my goodness, the sky is falling. Um, how do you, how do you see it? And how would you help someone who's kind of seeing it in the negative matter, uh, reframe it? So it's interesting because I guess what comes to me is that in the beginning, um, you know, I was one of the first to start running my mouth about, uh, as somebody who's not a believer in germ theory, um, about, you know, what I thought this whole virus thing represented. Um, I think we probably just lost our YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, and I spent months like in a state of alarm that, I have not been in probably in, in my activist career. Um, and then I started to recognize, okay, well, you know, I've sounded the alarm. People know my perspective. They either agree or don't agree. And so there's gotta be something I can do to start getting coherent. Right. And so then I spent a bunch of time created, you know, some memberships and sovereignty series and stuff like that you know, learning how to grow my own food and raise my own chickens and, you know, uh, decouple my uh, phone number on my smartphone and all these things. And then I started to look at where in my life am I buying eggs from the hardware store? Um, and that's where I started to do deeper relationship work that ultimately ended up in, in divorce actually and a reconfiguration of my life. Um, and so as I've moved through these phases of focus on the outside to focus on the inside, I went through a lot of outer turmoil, like turmoil around what was going on on the outside. Then there was a lot of turmoil around what was going on on the inside and coming through, you know, this birth canal, I actually feel more excited and expanded. And like that twinkle in my eye about, of course it had to be this way. Right. And, and it's, it's, it's happening. Like people are getting it. People are getting it. Um, since I started, um, dancing, I, uh, 
I started a TikTok account, right? Which I never would have done because, well, I, I heard it's bought by the Walmart family. But anyway, I was like, you know, that's participating and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Globalism. <laughs> all so anyway, I have, I have chosen to do that because I wanted to, and it feels good to do it, right? To, to share, you know. Um, and what I have found is that all of these like young kids, right? On there, um, they get it they're talking about how it's the end of the appeasement era and the beginning of the selfishness era. And they know the language that I've been speaking about for an hour. They understand personal responsibility and they are celebrating what it is to be in a human body, right? So I had gone to a place where I was so disappointed and, and disconnected from humanity. I thought like all humans were like idiot sheep, zombies, that that comportment only was reflected back to me. Right. And now as I've gotten into this place where I'm like, whatever's going on on the outside, that's bothering me. I'm going to start to look and see what I can find inside. And that's a reflex. Now, somehow everything feels not only excellent. I mean, I also live in Miami, so maybe that's part of it, you know, and it's a very free place. Um, it feels amazing. It feels even more promising than ever could have possibly been available and less contentious, right? So we have a lot of colleagues who are looking into legal emancipation, for example. And, you know, that could be really like scary. And I found my way into like different collectives where it's just kind of interesting and like, okay, time to do this now, right? The, the charge of that parentified dynamic of getting in trouble and needing something from a system that's not willing to give it to you, it, it can dissipate. Right. And, and it can only happen when you are willing to look inside and willing to commit to yourself and stay with yourself and explore yourself and learn about yourself. And there's so many, you know, different ways to do that. However, the journey will become clear to you when, you know, that's why I'm a believer in the reset, when you, you make that, that pronouncement, you know, to yourself in the world that, you're here for you, right? You're here for your experience. You're here for your process and nothing can take you off that. Nothing can pull you off that. And that doesn't mean you don't feel feelings, right? It just means that the story that you're attaching to those feelings is not one that disempowers you, scares you, or otherwise puts you into a state of dependency on things going a certain way on the outside for you to feel okay on the inside. And, you know, I'm not saying I have achieved this. However, it's a practice that I'm committed to. And it has conferred a sense of optimism that's actually even more than that. It's excitement. It's enthusiasm. And it's a, a total knowing, a total certainty that I incarnated, you incarnated at this time to bear witness to this incredible birth process, this maturational process that makes, you know, whatever we were doing in our earlier lives, like in the eighties or whatever, look like we were just asleep, right? Like, and now we're, we're waking up and, and it's extraordinary. Wow. Very beautifully said. Well, this has been a, a pleasure. Um, where can people find your work, uh, the vital mind reset? And if they want to just follow everything that you're doing, including your TikTok videos. <laughs> so yeah, I was, I was kicked off of Facebook, not there. I'm heavily, heavily censored on Instagram. Um, and now I am building a TikTok following. If you want to see my dance videos, uh, my amateur dance moves. And, you know, of course the best place is just uh, through my newsletter and website, kellybroganmd.com. And then I think you can share a link for, um, vitamin reset, which is, um, open this week. 
Amazing. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you for all you do and just the continuing progression of who you are, because even the first time you came on the show, um, you've just had a lot of growth and a lot of authenticity. And I'm just really grateful for everything you're doing. So thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you. It was a pleasure. All right. Thanks, guys. See you in the next one. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen, the absolutely amazing Kelly Brogan. I hope that you enjoyed that show. And if you did, please share it far and wide. Um, do what you can to get the word out there. If you're interested in working with Kelly, her Vital Mind Reset is on right now. Um, so check it out. I think you only have like today to get it. I, I didn't realize that she shut the window so quick for that course. She does it uh, twice a year. So even if you miss this one, you can get on the next one. But you know, there's very few people that I would really encourage people to go through and check out their work and go through their, their training and their courses. And Kelly is a true master. So if you're interested in that, go check her out. Go check out the website. Um, if you want to support this show, like I said, you can become a member, leave a review and do all that kind of stuff. But just want to wish you a beautiful day, hoping that wherever you are in the world, you're doing okay. You're loved. You're taken care of. You feel supported and uh, sending you all of my prayers and blessings your way to you and your family. So thank you so much for listening and uh, let's come into a state of peace and coherence before we end this show. Wherever you are in the world, just stop what you're doing. Take in a deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath and let it out slowly, filling every cell, muscle, and fiber of your being with joy, peace, compassion, power, strength, faith, courage, and get ready to enjoy the rest of your day. So thank you so much for listening and I'll see you in the next episode.